for the next uh, four weeks, uh, we'll be discussing this matter about stewardship. It's a good time to go church shopping, you know, if you get nervous about money. And so, uh, we teach on it. I was just thinking, I normally speak about money four times every 156 weeks. Every three years, I usually am asked to do four sermons, and I'm usually told to do it by Robert Richardson to say, it's no wonder your giving's off, you don't talk about it. No, I want to be doing Hebrews 9 today. I'm in the book of Hebrews. Any, any of you found that out? You don't even know what book I'm in. Okay, well, the, this would be refreshing then. Uh, but one thing that is certainly gone, going on, according to Randy Alcorn, only 1% of the pastors of America ever speak on money because we've been painted into a corner by the Elmer Gantry I- image that you guys are just money-hungry uh, mercenaries preying on God's people. Well, they're liars. Uh, we just teach God's Word, and God has said plenty about what He wants His children to do. Because everybody's after your money. Everybody. Uh, Visa, uh, Nordstrom's, Macy's, uh, everybody wants your money. But not everybody has promised to do what God has promised to do when you include Him and when He's put in the right place. I want to read as a backdrop before we pick up what he tells the young pastor at Ephesus. I want you to just put this in your mind. Turn back uh, to Matthew chapter 6. While you're turning there, I pray any of you women that uh, uh, are just praying about it or uh, maybe straddling the fence about our uh, women's retreat, we got 20 openings, and that's going to be next weekend. This is the last day you can sign up. Susie's here. See her. Uh, They're going to be having a meeting tomorrow night, and she'll be glad to fill you in in on that. But it will be a time of uh, refreshment just to get away. Be great if you can leave your cell phone. That'd be a miracle, so we won't go for a miracle. But uh, get away. We have 20 openings, I believe, at least, and we'd love to see you go there. And uh, Susie assures me of our speaker that you'll be blessed. 20 openings. He signed up for 60 because that's where the numbers have been going, and less than, I think, around 40. So, uh, she kind of wants, we need that. We paid the fee anyway. Uh, so, we want you to get there, uh, act pitiful around Susie. She may loan you some money. I doubt it. But anyway, uh, we'd love to have you go to that. It'll be next weekend. So, uh, please look her up in the uh, uh, foyer today and talk. We would love to have you women make that. Uh, in this matter of money, Jesus said something in the great marvelous message of Matthew 6, that the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5 through 7. But in the middle of it, it starts talking about money. How dare God talk to us about money? Don't you know there's people with leprosy? Don't you know there's a lot of bigger things than that? Well, uh, you take that up with him. He began to talk about money. And he gave this. There's two treasure chests in a man's life. There's two ways to look at resources. And there's two masters in this world. And he brings up the subject in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break uh, in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he doesn't say don't treasure up at all. He just tells you the right treasury chest. Store up things that cannot rot, things that cannot rust, things that cannot be stolen. Well, where is that treasure chest, Jesus? Well, he says in the heart of God and in his mind, what you invest in God's kingdom, whether it's missions, paying off buildings, uh, feeding the poor, a multitude of things that we can do for good with the money. He said, that's the treasure chest that you'll never lose it. You'll never lose it. It will be kept, and God will reward you even eternally for it. He goes on to say, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What is he saying when he picks up this? Why? Because he's not, he's not through discussing money. He's saying the eye is an idiom, an idiom here for outlook or perspective. Two ways, two perspectives. The way we look at things will determine, and the way we look at money the way we look at eternal investments, the way we use money temporally with eternity in view, however, there's two ways. You either have a healthy outlook on life and about the use of money for God, or you don't. It's all in the way you view different things. You're, what is, are you healthy or are you sick in your outlook? Do you just see the here and now? If you grew up in the Bay Area with Timothy Leary, LSD, and Haight-Ashbury in the 60s, it's here and now, blow your mind, baby, we won't be here tomorrow. We're going to Vietnam if we stay alive. They want to recruit us if you're in the 60s and you're a boy around here. We're going out to the Mekong Delta. We're not headed there. No way. Because McNamara's lying to us, Westmoreland's lying to us, and so is the President of the United States. I'm not coming back in a body bag. If anything, I'm going to go out high. That's the 60s mentality. And that's where we, and let's do it now. What's your perspective? And then he says there's only two masters, God and money. And that's an astounding thing that he would put money in the category of a master. And he says, you can only serve, you can only serve one master. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, he says, you're faced with this choice. Two perspectives, two treasure chests, and two masters. And you can only serve one or the other. And so, you ask yourself, Am I a slave to money? Well, let's see. Uh, how many hours a week are you sp spending making money? Include your commute. In the Bay Area, that could be easily 60 hours. I got to get to San Fran. I got to get to Redwood City. I got to make the check. 
get them. So most people in the Bay Area, many, are spending at least 60 hours a week making the money. That's one part. Then I got to decide where I spend the money. On and on and on and on. It's easy for money to be your God because it tells you everything to do. It controls you Monday through Friday and where you will be because you want money. You need money. But that's quite a control over you. And then you get that money and you have this choice. I, I, could, I surely wouldn't give any of this to the church. They didn't work for that money. What are they doing down there taking offerings? By the way, I drop my kids off to three events a week, and I never get a bill for it. I expect them to do a good job, and I expect the place to be warm. It better be clean. It better look nice. Don't be telling me, church, your problem. Wait, who do you think underwrites God's church? Do you think we're in the national budget? It's sure not your taxes. Move to Europe, and we can get you under the government taxes. Now, Let's go to 1 Timothy. This is just the background. He's writing to this young pastor, and we want to see the challenge he gives to us who are rich to invest our resources in things that are eternal. In chapter 6, in verse 5, he warns of a prosperity gospel. He said, there will come, Timothy, false teachers who will say, if you live godly, it will mean money in your pocket. Look at what it says. And he's warning of those who create friction, who are depraved in their mind, and they're deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. We have Simon in the book of Acts. I will teach you, I think it's the prosperity gospel. The song we sang that Canoli wrote is from Luke 6, 38. It's a great truth. Given it will be given to you. Read the verse. It's an astounding verse. But those who come and say, be godly, do this, it's a moneymaker. It's a moneymaker. He's warning Timothy about that. Watch for false teachers who are trying to get your money and will lie to you. And try to make you, if you give to God, if you put God, do everything for a gain. You're not really giving it. Are you investing, hoping that God makes you wealthy, or would you give it anyway? And he says, you be careful, Timothy. Then he goes, he said, let me tell you the attitude I want you to have about money. And he begins in there, and he talks about them. First of all, God's goal for his people is godliness with contentment is great gain. Do any of you have that? Uh, would Jesus be enough? I mean, you got to pay the rent. You have to eat. We know that. But if you just had your basic needs met, could you be happy in God? Now, now this is going to be hard. You can scream on this. If we took all the tech out of your life, could you make it? Uh, could you make it without TV for a month? I heard no out there. Uh, could you make it a month without your iPad? You know, cell phones. 
My folks told me I had to get rid of my rotary phone or I'd still have it. Man, as long as I get someone on the other end, I don't care about touching. Hey, it's worked for years. And one of my girls came by, Dad, you got to get rid of this. Hey, I paid for that. I own it. Leave it alone. You're not cool. Cool cost. I don't want to be cool. You know, all the stuff you got to, I I mean, with our grandchildren, all our kids need their own cell phone. They need their what? What what, what are they? Uh, Six? AJ six now. He'll be packing a cell phone pretty soon. See, where we have come from, where we have come from, that godliness with contentment. I know some adults that two of them occupy over 5,000 square feet. I mean, they have to have cell phones to know where they are in the house. (laughs) Now, why do you need that much space? Marriage doesn't look good. I'll tell you that much. You need that much space. I'm trying to give less space so she can't run when she sees me. (laughs) Uh, Verse 6, there's godliness with contentment is God's goal. And notice how he measures the contentment. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be discontent. Uh, Over these, we will be content. So, see, in biblical times, if you're dressed, you've got a wardrobe, and you have food, you're considered well off. Remember, they didn't have Costco. You didn't eat meat. You basically ate grain. If you were a peasant, a common man, only those up the ladder had meat. Uh, I mean, sacrificial time in the city of Jerusalem, they would get meat, but it was hard to come by. It was not an agricultural country, really. It was tough. So he said, if you've got food and clothing, uh, let, let's just kind of close your eyes. and does, Is there anyone here that has more clothes than they are wearing? Just kind of close your eyes. I'll just look the other way. Go ahead. Go, go ahead and pray. Uh, shoes. <laughs> do, do, does a- anybody here have more than one pair? I got up my old, man, those babies are sharp. I've had those shoes. I ain't telling you. I get so many shoes, I could provide shoes for 10 men. I go in there and pray over which pair to wear today. <laughs> Ooh, I feel it right here. That's the pair. I got more clothes. I can clothe 10 people. It's a shame to have. And I keep going through them, get rid of it. And, and guess what we do as a favorite pastime in this poor boy, poor boy country? When we don't know what else to do, let's go shopping. <laughs> shopping? You need to be donating. You don't need to be shopping. It just feels so good when, when it smells brand new. When I bought the car walk back, the guy I knew very well, uh, he said, around here, if you buy brand new, he said, we all bust out laughing as soon as you pull off the lot. He said, there went $5,000 up in smoke. 
and said, we as salesmen laugh. He said, how crazy. Why don't you just get one with a few thousand miles and save yourself 5,000 bucks? But it doesn't smell as new. They actually have spray, I think. Smell new. <laughs> smell new. See, it, all, what are, our pastime is to shop for things we don't need. That's where we are as a country. And he's saying here, God wants you to be contented. And then he says in verse 9, those who desire to be rich, they want more than food and clothing and whatever the marks of richness in their culture. Uh, if you desire, and that word desire is you determine. It's a strong word. If you are determined to be rich, he said, I just want you to know you're going to have all kinds of temptations associated with it. You fall into a snare. You fall into ruin. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money is all moral. It's neither good nor bad, but it messes up your perspective. See, I'm not going to throw out money like I did last time. I lost it. <laughs> but my grandson found it, and he's kept it too. Uh, I won't just mess with the dollar bill. There's no moral value in that dollar. It's just like a gun. A, a gun's not evil. It's the people who hold the gun. A gun is not evil. It's all moral. Guns don't go out and kill people. People go out and kill people. And if they don't have a gun, they'll have a ball bat, they'll have a knife. They can figure out how to kill you. So get rid of all the guns you want. You won't get rid of the killers. Killers will always have guns. So that, that is not, getting rid of money isn't the cure. It's perspective and e pluribus unum. Well, I, in God we trust. Isn't that interesting? Are you kidding? Right there's the God. I knew I trust. And that's what he said. You, you got to pick. Are you, see, you don't want to say, I trust in my riches, but I trust in the God who richly provides. Don't trust in riches, but trust in the God who richly supplies. Okay, so he goes on. If you love money, you're going to fall into all kinds of temptation. And I pulled out something. Get this. Listen. Motives having to do with money or sex account for 99% of the crimes committed in the United States. But those with money as their object outpoint outpoint sexual offenses by a ratio of four to one. Other words, sex will motivate you to do a crime, crimes of hate, jealousy. But the crimes just to get money um, in a money-making scheme outnumber that crime so that 99% of every crime committed... They're killing, they're stealing, they want money. Money. Money runs people's lives. So now, he says, be careful. The danger of money is it wants to be the God in your life. If you live for it, 
And what you all need, we all need money for the food, clothing, housing, buy the gas for the car. You can't get through this life without money as a whole. But he warns of its dangers. And then he goes down to verse 17. Tell the rich in this present age. Ah, tell the rich. To do what? Tell them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who has richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Tell rich people. Now, here's the issue. Who's rich? And you didn't identify with that. I know you didn't. They interviewed people in Money Magazine and asked them who they considered rich or what would they consider being rich. And this particular article I read, most of them were worth, their net worth was $2 million, $2.5 million. I think that's pretty good. Now ask them, what would rich be to you? And the overall stats in the Money Magazine interview was, double what I have, and I think I'd be rich. If I'm worth $3 million, $6 million would do. And it illustrated none of them thought they were rich at where they were. Because he who loves money can never have enough money. That's what Ecclesiastes 5 says. If you love money, it's an elusive thing. You've never, when will enough be enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And uh, uh, I'm amazed at how many, some stats. I I did some homework here, so you got to listen to it. The minimum wages. uh, I think San Fran just went to $15 an hour, something like that. uh, 1.2 billion people in the world live on less than $1 a day. That's a pretty good number, 1.2 billion there's a few out there, on a dollar a day. Uh, listen to this. If you made only $1,500 last year, that's more than 80% of the people on the earth. 80% of the people on the earth do not make $1,500 a year. Statistically, if you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or an apartment, have a reasonably reliable means of transportation, you are among the top 15% of the world's wealthy. Anybody here have a car? Ooh, you rich cat. (laughs) Any of you living in your own place? You fat cat. (laughs) Any of you walking on carpets instead of dirt? You fat, fat cat. Anybody got electricity? Anybody look at the latest National Geographic? The China won't share its electricity with Laos, Vietnam, and those in the Mekong Delta. They're building these huge dams, but they won't share the electricity. People there in Vietnam and Laos still do not have electricity to this day. They won't share it. Did any of you dress by kerosene this morning? Uh, Let me keep on lest I throw up. If you have any money saved, a hobby that requires some equipment. Anybody golf? I never thought we would golf. Our family, my my brother David for sure. 
But I never thought we would ever go off. That was a rich man's game, just to get the equipment, just to get the clubs. I got so many clubs, I still don't know how to use them. But I got the equipment. I'll sell them to you at a good price. Um, a variety of clothes. None of you women are here. I got my winter wardrobe. Winter? I got my two dresses, let's say. Did anybody ever go to school that you got one pair of Levi's start September, and maybe in January you might get another pair? And we went to Jim's shoe store, Steve would know this, and you wore these thick brogans. You, you, you wore two pairs of pants for a whole school year. And when I grew up, once you washed that pair of pants, you threw them away. None of this washed out, dingy holes in the pants stuff. Uh-uh. You lousy, low-down young people. No, how many wore Levi's until they got dirty, then you threw them away? All right. It's my generation, the ones who founded this country. Uh, I, I found something. My sister, I, I thought you ought to know this. Um, my sister is the historian of our family, and she, when my mother passed away, she got the old cookbooks that my mother had. And one day she's going through it, and found a pay stub for my dad's job. And, and let me read this uh, trivia to you. Listen to this. Are you rich is the issue. Uh, work number 16 badge, total hours, 68 hours. He's working for Kaiser Shipbuilding Department in Richmond, California, Put in 68 hours. Anybody working 68 hours a week on the job? Hello, Chuck. He's retired. He's messing with me. Uh, he worked 68 hours, and guess what he made? $92.32. Just raking it in. His net pay was $62.23. Now, my sister writes this little note. I found this check stub in one of Mama's cookbooks. She was using it as a bookmark. The date is April 23rd, 44. Daddy had six deductions and was making $1.36 an hour. Two months and tw 22 days later, Philip was born, the seventh child. So he fed Seven of us on $62 for a week. Anybody making $62 a week for 68 hours of work? Stop your whining. You're rich. MacArthur says the rich in that day was we had the food, clothing, and we had a place to live. Americans are filthy rich, and they don't realize it. And so when we come to the verse, tell the rich, you say, well, he's not talking to me. He's talking to Bill Gates. He's talking to Buffett. No, he's talking to you that have clothing. You have some excess money after the bills are paid. I'm talking about to sustain life, not on your brand new whatever. So, well, you know, making those yacht payments is hard on me. I literally, when I went to school in Dallas, I got into prayer meeting. 
with a multimillionaire man, said, pray for us that we won't lose one of our jets. Had two Lear jets. I said, it's hard for me to get a burden. I, I, I just can't get into it, you know. God save his Lear jet. Where I come from, God let us have something to eat. Let us pay the rent. And over here, help me save my Learjet. He lost it. He went bankrupt over taxes. He says, tell the rich to be pouring themselves into good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Uh, we're in a, uh, another stewardship program, and guess what? We will be in something uh, for, until we see Jesus. There'll be no offerings in heaven. That ought to get, make you happy. But some of you won't have any treasures in heaven because you've not been good with money here. He's saying, invest now with God, and he'll keep your money. He'll see that you get a reward even if you help the poor, even if you give a man a cup of cold water. And uh, let me act like you're here and you've never, you've only been saved for three and a half hours. What would I tell you what to do with money? Well, since God owns it all anyway, and First Chronicles 29 said that, uh, here's what I would say. P's, if you remember these four P's. First of all, uh, giving ought to be a priority in your life. Uh, honor the Lord with the first fruits. Put the Lord first. If he gave you the strength, the favor, the job to make this money, his work is supported by his people. So make God your priority in your budgeting, in whatever you do with money. Make God the priority. That's, that, because we're not atheists. And we, we believe in God and his word is told. Search the scriptures if you don't like this. Search the Bible. I dare you, I dare you, I dare you to read this Bible and find out anything I tell you about giving isn't true. Over 2,000 verses addresses you and your money. You read it. It's there. And one guy told me I preached at their church and he said, we're big on love offerings in this church. And I said, well, wonderful. He said, we're big on the love and short on the offering. <laughs> Don't tell God you love him when you won't give to him. Go to the foot of the cross and figure out what you want to give to this kind of God. We're just the channel. I mean, uh, we're just the channel. Is there any rich folks? I guarantee in this church today, there's at least... 90% that would meet the biblical death. You have more than food, more, more than raiment. You have enough discretionary money beyond that to probably take vacations, have investments, whatever. I make more than $98 a week for 68 hours of work. Uh, make God your priority. Two, uh, pick a percentage. Uh, we're, we grew up, American Christians, only 3% of them tithe, less than 3%. The average amount of money giving, given to charity in America now is 2.6. In the Depression, it was 3.3. We give less money in prosperity to God's work 
than when we were poor. It's amazing. Uh, that as your income increases, I've seen people, I give a proportion to God as long as I make less than $200. When God starts blessing me, well, you can't tithe. God wouldn't expect me to give that much. And, you know, I've told the story on myself, and I, I say it to my own rebuke, uh, and I've said it before, that when I went and covered a speaking engagement in Pumpkin Center outside of Bakersfield, I told Carolyn, we were in the building program, whatever my honorarium is, I'm giving half of it to the building fund. Little church uh, on the road to Taft out in Boonesville. And uh, I was filling in for a Dallas prof. And said, I can't make it do this. I speak. I told Carolyn, oh, this little country church, oh, $200. Uh, I'll give 100 to the uh, building fund. And well, I'll buy you a hamburger on the way home and fill the tank. And we'll just say we had a good time. But there was a man in that church that took a liking to me that was a multimillionaire. Had all kinds of schools across the state. Just, he dropped $1,000 into the honorarium check that I, I never knew about. But God, so they gave me a check. I think it was $1,500. I was just blown away. I mean, this little church, I figured $200, he'd be doing good. And as soon as I found out the amount, I thought, well, that's not what I agreed to. <laughs> that, Lord, I told you I'd give you half, but you didn't have to make the honorarium that big. I figured that half would only be a hundred bucks. I never was seeing what God was going to let me keep. That's called greed. That's called covetousness. That's called sin. And so I'm repenting instead of rejoicing over the blessing, over and above anything I was thinking. I think, you mean you want me to put $750 into the building program? Lord, I could do so much with it. Well, what would you have done with it if you only had a hundred left? A hamburger is what I settled for. <laughs> well, now you could go to a steak. Greed, greed. The selfishness sets in. So percentage, what percentage? Some folks say, I don't believe in tithe, but what do you believe in? What percentage do you buy? Come on, give me a percentage. Because some of you have been given the same $20 for 20 years, and you call it giving. It's a shame. I just booked in a restaurant, my wife's birthday. I book in a place to take my grandchildren, wife, everything. And, they say, and by the way, uh, Mr. Howard, since you're signing up for 10-plus people, you know that would be an 18% gratuity. Why well, ain't going? I'm just paying for the food. I ain't paying. I signed up. I'm going to start saying, if you attend this church, 18% gratuity. <laughs> See, we got 200 people that are members in this church that gave nothing last year. If, as an elder, if I had my way, I would say notify them, find out why you've made a covenant, but in, we want you to still attend, but you can't be a member because you broke covenant. You're lying to us. Tell us why you're not giving. Don't lie. Our covenant says I'll back you financially. I'll pray for you. Say, well, boy, you in it for money? No. 
I cannot tell you how many pastors I've talked to, white and black and brown, that are still on a job that can't get supported because they said, our people know how to shout, but they don't know how to give. They know how to get happy, but they won't ever write a check. Guess what? It's false. It's false spirituality. What are you doing? Is money a servant to the true God, or are you treating it like a God? What perspective do you have on it? You want to hoard it? You want to be a rich fool that says, if God prospers me, I want to build bigger barns, bigger barns for me, my, me, my. He just keeps saying it, Luke 12. Ours says, I want my standard of living to increase so that my standard of giving will increase. If God was to give you a job where you made double where you, what you're making now, would you increase your giving? I'm not talking about $5. Would you proportionately keep up with the blessing? That's percentage giving, percentage. Uh, I would uh, choose progressive giving, and that is after a while tithing seems chintzy, start adding a percent a year. Uh, you know, I don't know where I am. I'm 20, 25%. Uh, I know sister in our church started doubling her tithe, and I had her husband say to me jokingly, I'm going to have to join up with my wife. God just keeps pouring it on her, just keeps pouring it on her. You can't outgive the Lord. Will you ever progressively move up? You can't take it with you. Now, my wife says that to me, and I don't like it. She's mailing another check to another daughter. I said, for sure we're not taking it. You're mailing it out too quick. Tell those grandchildren they don't need it. We don't. There's no pockets in a shroud. And we don't bury people pulling a U-Haul behind them. You know, when they finally got into King Tut's tomb, guess what? All the artifacts and the gold were still there. And he thought it would be with him on his journey to the next land. But when they finally broke into that tomb, and it's now all the King Tut goods that were going to get him to the next land is in the Cairo Museum. You've got to invest now. And uh, the fourth thing, practice giving. Uh, by that do it, stay in the habit of it. Because many people do this. They're spontaneous, sporadic, and uh, sparing. And by spontaneous, uh, they'll see something on the TV, a poor orphan, uh, poverty, and it will emotionally grip them right for the moment. And men, they'll respond, call up, send in a donation. Wonderful. But you see, it's a very spontaneous Unless there's an emotional appeal made, they don't give. Well, it's not emotional around here to pay $100,000 a year for PG&E. See, we're hoping to replace all these lights with LEDs, but we've got to replace all the fixtures that hold them because they can't take an LED light. Uh, you cannot believe how much money we pay just to turn on lights. $100,000. It's absurd. And he worked for PG&E. We don't even get discounts. Uh, sporadic giving. Oh, man, they give. They give twice a year sparingly. If you're going to be tight, 
Be tight with yourself. Don't ever be tight with God. And don't be tight with others. We are taught to be generous to people. Be as tight as you want. If you want to drink milk from a fruit jar, help yourself. But don't treat others that way. And don't treat God's Word. Be as generous with God as He has been with you. Is that fair? Be as generous with God as He blessed you. Has He provided? Has He made a way? Well, uh, in our stewardship campaign in the next four weeks, I want you to be praying, what could I sacrificially give beyond our ministry fund? Because the building is just one thing. Our, our biggest challenge is our weekly ministry general fund because that's where we pay everything. But I would say think of it this way. What would I give if I could? What would I give? I'd give a million dollars if I could. Well, let's change that to what if you could, but you would not. If you could and you would, you should. I would if I could. Well, you could if you would. See, if you want to give, God will give you something to give. Why, say, why would God really, to me, why would I want to bless those who do not want to underwrite my work? How, whatever form, sending kids to camp, supporting missionary. There's a thousand causes. It's interesting, I must say this, people with money normally don't give it to local churches. It's not noble enough, and we don't wine and dine enough. When you belong to the ministries that I know of, huge ministries, they, they, they're much better to the giver than we are because we don't do that very well in the church. But it's ongoing. From the cradle to the grave, this church is trying to minister to people, help people, care for the dying, care for the newborn. And you have to ask yourself, is it worth supporting? If it's not, what in the world do you attend for? I wouldn't attend a place I thought was crooked. What about you? And one thing about this, our money, our money, in our annual report, which most of you didn't read, but you demand, and it was produced, uh, you don't build buildings, put in roofs, and someone gave, you gave, and you've got to clear the visible is around you. These missionaries, when they come home, they brag on you and this church because your money is being used and going where you want it to go. It, thank God for the honesty of those who are handling our money. Our Ron Hughes, the elders, they're godly, honest men. We don't want your money. We don't want your money. God wants you to be a giver, and he wants you to underwrite what is going on here for the glory of God. Pray, pray. Would you be willing to make a sacrifice in this next three-year campaign? Don't tell me you're tired of them. I've been in it for 30 years. I've made a pledge every year for 30 years, and I don't want any of my money back. You won't waste anything you lay at his feet.